weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thank you for joining me. Ever get that eerie feeling you're being watched or that your eyes play tricks on you? Then suddenly a physical and emotional shift begins to take place. A weird tingling sensation. Shadows come to life. There are strange noises you desperately try to dismiss. The hair raises on the back of your neck as goosebumps settle in. Well, what if this wasn't just your imagination? What if humans are not the only thing spirits attach themselves to? What if, in some creepy way, objects can become possessed? There are a number of documented cases where items are said to be haunted. They range from artwork to furniture and, yes, those sinister dolls. One of the most haunted is Robert the Doll, which takes up residence at the Fort East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida. He is said to cause mischief, move about the room, change facial expressions, and his laughter is haunting. Robert is a -a one-of-a-kind handmade doll created around the turn of the 20th century. Standing 40 inches tall, he is dressed in a sailor suit and once bore painted features like those of a jester. He was given to a young boy named Robert Eugene Otto. There are many theories as to why or how this doll became haunted, but one thing remains true. There was a great deal of emotional energy surrounding the Otto family during the young boy's upbringing. To get a better sense of this paranormal paradox, joining me is Eric Rodriguez, writer, amateur historian, and native Floridian, and Lisa Walker from Clewiston, Florida, who has witnessed firsthand the wrath of Robert the Doll. I started by asking Eric to give us some insight into this strange story. It is a very creepy doll. Um, If you ever go to the museum, it's actually very interesting when you go in because it's basically locked behind a big glass case. And surrounding it are a bunch of letters that all these alleged you know, victims of the doll have sent an apology to basically get the curse lifted. The main backstory of it is that the Robert the Doll is, is basically, it's, it's almost 115 years old. It's said to have been given to a young boy named Robert Jean Otto when he was very young by a Bahamian uh, maid who was a servant of this family who owned a very uh, prominent house in in the Keys. Um, it was known as the artist house nowadays. So they, the family had moved in in the early, late 1800s, um, turn of the century period. And basically the legend goes is that the family, the father had gone to the Bahamas when he was, you know, when they had just moved in to get uh, help for the house, for the property. And when they had left to go uh, to the Bahamas, the trip ended up taking longer than uh, Mrs. Otto had expected it to. And um, when, yeah, (laughs) so when he came back, the maid was mysteriously pregnant. So one of the things that, um, to Mrs. Otto's dismay at seeing a pregnant maid come back with her husband was that she allegedly locked her in an outhouse in the back for, you know, a period of months, basically, until she gave birth. And then after she gave birth, the child supposedly died, uh, you know, not even two months after. So what happened was, is that, you know, this this woman who was, you know, after she's dealing with this, you know, postpartum depression, essentially, um, from the loss of her child, she basically took up a very strong bond with Eugene, with, with, with yeah. Eugene yes, right, right. With, with Eugene Otto. 
one day, you know, the mother woke up in the middle of the night, basically after the, you know, they she had been taken care of for a while after the servant was back allowed, you know, to work the grounds and take help take care of the, the house, the property. She basically discovers outside that the maids are performing a Santeria ritual basically in the back of the house. And when they see that this ritual is going on, to Miss Otto's dismay again, she flips out when she's seeing, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Santeria, but there's, you know, animal sacrifice, cutting off of chicken heads. Yeah. Basically, she saw that going down in her house in the middle of the night um, under the full moon and flipped out and told everybody, get out of this house. You're gone. I'm not, you know, get out of this get right. off of my property right. um, and sent them to send them back to the Bahamas. And um, so bef- before the maid left, she allegedly gifted this doll to the son kind of as a parting gift. But because she was so upset with the family for discarding her and all the mistreatment that they had received before for mm-hmm. their Santeria beliefs and just for, you know, basically treating them terribly, cursed the doll with voodoo magic. They say that the doll itself has actually hair from the little boy that was incorporated into um, the hair of the doll. Mm-hmm. It's actually human hair, and they speculate that it's it's boy. It's from Eugene. Oh, that's weird. That is so creepy. Yeah, exactly. So um, basically after that, you know, the, the family, uh, you know, they left, but the little boy continued to stay attached with this doll, basically became his only friend. Um, but then weird things started happening around the house in the sense of, uh, you know, they, they would wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden uh, Eugene would be screaming, you know, waking up and they would go into the little boy's room and see furniture turned over and the doll just, you know, at the foot of the bed. Yeah, right, exactly. And they would be like, what's going on? What happened? He was like, it was Robert, it was Robert. And like, little boy's full name is Robert Eugene Otto. So when bad things continued to go on in the house, when he would misbehave, he would basically, they would be like, oh, why are you doing that? Why is this broken? Why are these toys uh, broken on the floor? Why is there, you know, just weird things going on in the house and they would be like they would blame the little boy for mischief but in reality he would just be it wasn't me it was robert long story short yeah. basically <laughs> it moves on years later eventually you know the because the behavior started getting so weird in the house and you know things started really breaking and you know some people say that the family started going a little bit insane because of the doll mm-hmm. um they locked it away in an, an attic and basically it said the doll didn't like that they would hear footsteps they would hear giggling when it got locked away actually the eugene was a lot older uh at that point it was actually uh leaving to go study art in europe and forgets about the doll essentially and goes off to study you know the fine masterpieces and painting mm-hmm. and you know just becoming a an artist in european you know schools he actually doesn't come back until his parents die uh, years later, and he comes back to basically claim the state of his of the home that he had left. And by that time, he was pretty accomplished as a painter um, and as an artist, uh, and he had actually married already. Actually, actually, he ended up marrying a Rockefeller p- jazz pianist who was actually very well known for her time. So he had good fortune in his life, even though the family seemed to have gone a little cuckoo. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's kind of where the end, good fortune ends is when oh, he okay. comes back. So when he comes back, uh, basically, he goes up into the attic and just rediscovers his doll. And, you know, he's like, oh, wow, it's this doll. I haven't seen it in years. You know, they take it out. Um, at first it was fine, but then all of a sudden, uh, as the legend goes, his behavior changed. 
Um, he became wildly erratic, and uh, he was known by the locals at the time as uh, eccentric. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, he would bring the doll to the local this bar. This is Key West, though. It is Key West. I mean, eccentric yeah. is embraced. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if you would embrace sitting next to a man with a creepy doll at the no, bar no. while he's serving him drinks. <laughs> Although I could see that in Key West. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I've seen a lot Anything there. goes. Yeah, you know? basically, that's that's what it is. So, so basically, you know, he just became very kind of aggressive and violent and his wife allegedly um they blame her death on the doll At, damn like, she dies yeah she ended up dying some um, mysterious thing right so yeah <laughs> she ends up dying from unknown causes See, this keeps up until uh essentially um eugene dies in the i think it was like the mid-70s basically he lived up until and when he passes away the robert robert the doll is you know still in the home and eventually the home comes into new ownership and the doll's still there and they start hearing you know footsteps at night there's actually a story apparently of um, a plumber who went up to the to the top floor where robert is supposed to be and um you know he's working on some plumbing and all of a sudden he starts hearing giggling and he turns around when, when he first walked in the room you know the doll was in one corner of the room he hears the giggle, turns around, the doll's all of a sudden on the side of the room. He flips out. <laughs> He's like, you know, I'm not working here anymore and leaves. Yeah. Um, but that's just one of the stories. Um, right. There's, there's so there's, many. There's lots of stories. So now Robert the doll is in this museum. Yes. And people go in there and they, some people are nice. They do what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to say hello. You're supposed to say goodbye. You're supposed to show respect. Mm-hmm. You're fine. Everything's good. The minute you don't do that bad things are said to have happened that's why all these letters show that there's pure evidence of it in the museum what happened to you lisa when you went in i didn't go in the museum Mm -hmm. so it was it took place around like 2011. okay um i had just graduated from high school my sister was in the eighth grade and I was with um, my sister, a family friend, and they sent us, uh, the parents sent us off on a haunted tour at night. And we're walking around the haunted tour and we're standing outside the museum. And the tour guide, she's passing around a photo of the Robert, the doll. And she's telling about like, if you take a picture of him without asking, he will come back and curse you. And she was talking about how um, people who don't believe and they take the picture, all of their vacation photos are destroyed. Um, they have this hex over them for so long that finally they're like, it was when I took that picture of the doll. Mm-hmm. I need to go back and write a letter and apologize. Well, of course, my sister's like 14 years old and the picture finally gets passed around to us. And the rebel that she is, she just looks at the photo, flips a bird, and takes a picture with her cell phone. Mm -hmm. And me and my friend Jade were like, hands on our faces, no! What are you doing? Don't do that. Yeah, and um, we didn't think anything of it. I mean, I was really young. She was really young. And about a year later, I had went off to college, and the whole time while I'm in college, all these things are happening. Um, my dad's orchids are dying. Um, my sister 
is almost arrested by our neighbor friend Robert Miller mm, coming Robert. over. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, his name is Robert. To this day, our family doesn't associate with anyone named Robert. Yeah. And um, my dad broke his leg. My my sister, she could not keep a cell phone. And that was one of the things the tour guide was talking about. If you take a picture, like now technology, take a picture with your phone. Right. Um, your phone will be corrupted or it just malfunction or or some unfortunate event will happen to destroy your cell phone and she could not keep a cell phone to for nothing it was like five hundred dollars every two months my parents were spending to get her a new phone oh different phones it wasn't necessarily the one she took the picture with over over over, a year and finally she i was like they're calling me to talk to, I'm the older sister. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm four years older than her, so they they would call me and be like, "You need to talk some sense into her. She's not managing her phone. If she's not managing her phone, she's not managing her life." <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, ma. All right. I come I come home and um, I live near Lake Okeechobee. And one day it was me, my dad, and my sister, and we decided we would walk around the lake. And we have a family friend. Um, there's a cemetery right by Lake Okeechobee, and we wanted to go visit him. And we're sitting there, and we're just like, you know, giving like a moment of silence. And my sister pulls her phone out, like the millennial she is, and it's all cracked. And she literally got it like last week. And I looked at her, and I scolded her. And my sister's the kind of person, if you scold her, she's going to say some smart ass. Mm-hmm. remark like mind your business right, and I told her I was like what are you doing you cannot keep a phone and she looked at me terrified she was so scared and I thought I just kind of kept looking at her and then the thought popped into my head and I go do you remember last year when you took a picture of that doll and as soon as I said that, she reached out and grabbed my arm and she squeezed my arm and she goes and she's shaking and she's like, I think about that every day. Oh, really? Every oh, wow. day. And I was super intrigued. I'm like, what? Because she's, she's a non-believer in those kind of things. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of skeptical yeah. people. And I'm like, what's been going on to make you think about that every day? Because I'm, I'm super into all that stuff. Yeah. But um, she goes, I got to show you. And we go back to the house. And every photo we took on the Kodak cameras, the little disposable cameras you'd get at Walgreens, mm-hmm. she had them hanging in her room. And each one had like a thumbprint or some sort of a skewed thing that disrupted the photo. And that was another thing the tour guide talked about. You, know, you lose your vacation photos or your photography will be all corrupted or lost. Right. And she goes, I've thrown half of the photos away because you couldn't even see them. And then um, she started telling me other things that happened to her over the past year and she can't keep a phone. And I was like, Susan, man. Yeah. You messed up. Yeah. I told you not to do that. So just a forewarning for any non-believers out there, (laughs) just proceed with caution and reconsideration because you never, ever know, and it's definitely not worth it. I'm here to tell the story now. (laughs) Um, Actually, we do have a photo 
because when 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 I saw you, Eric, and you came in the office and you said, check out this photo, the first thing I did was go, oh my God, there's a face in the background. A yeah. Explicit, fa- I mean, you could see it clear as day, but floating there like a ghost, just a face. So call it up on the computer, we'll look at it again. I mean, that was actually creepy. If, I spotted it in a second, not, not look, knowing anything. If you look at the Google images of the doll and then you look at that that's that's the doll and the story behind that photo is um my sister and me and my boyfriend at the time we had went out to palm beach and we were kind of making an inside joke that susan was hexed by robert the doll and uh the boyfriend he was a non-believer and he went and Google imaged the picture and he just kept screenshotting it and screenshotting it kind of to be like, ha ha ha, like I'm taking a photo. Right. Well, um, (laughs) later that night we, we go back to the house and I'm sitting there and I was telling them, I was like, look, man, you can't be doing that to the Mm -hmm. doll. It's, I was, you know, representing Robert. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. My My sister took a photo of me. And uh, he is hovering over my head behind the couch yeah. in front of our dining room table. It is creepy. And he's smiling. He's just saying, hey, guys, I'm here. Yeah. That's really what it looks like. Well, you, you know, one thing that's actually kind of creepy, if you if you look, because I was actually doing this earlier when I was pulling up the photo again. Mm-hmm. If you look at a photo of what Robert Eugene Otto actually looked like, he kind of looks like the guy in, in that photo, like his facial structure. Oh, and really? His nose. Yeah. yeah. Let's see if I can pull up a photo of him. But he actually does kind of look like um, the guy. I've never looked up Robert what he looks Eugene. Like. Yeah, he actually yeah. is kind of creepy. You kind of like you can see it. There's another legend that um, the doll became parts of Robert and he became oh, yeah. alive after Robert passed. Wow. Going back to your sister, though, did she wind up writing a letter? Is her bad so, mojo still there, or is she getting it turned around? Um, the bad mojo is still debatable. <laughs> but in 20, I think it was 2012, um, she dated a guy named Bob, and he had... That's a little close to Robert. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what close. our family says. We, she doesn't date anyone named Bob. She doesn't date anyone named Robert. So she ate... But he had a place on the Keys, and um, we actually paid money for her to be shipped on, like, a speedboat. There's a speed expressway, I think, out of Fort Myers where you can go to, go to the Keys. And we have a few family friends that are from Key West, and we told them the story. And they were, like, very they're, – they're very serious men, and they were, like – you need to send her, and she needs yeah, to write a letter. Exactly. But they were very aware of this, the legend of Robert the doll. Right. And so my dad was like, all right. Yeah, get it done. Go, yeah, Susan. Go and get it done. And <laughs> she, uh, I called her um, when I was on the way here to kind of get more of a background. And she told me that her and her boyfriend, Bob, were sitting on the dock at um, his place in the Keys. And she goes, you're going to think I'm crazy. He's like, no, tell me. She goes, I have to go see this doll in Key West. I have to give it this letter. And when she started telling the story, 
She said the whole time, the few days they had been there, it was beautiful weather. And when she started telling the story, it started raining. And she didn't really put the two and two together until she realized she didn't have her phone. And both her phone and Bob's phone were sitting on the patio table and got ruined by the rain. Of course, yeah. And then it rained Mm -hmm. for three days straight. Oh, my God. It rained in that moment and then for three days. (laughs) For three days straight. And she went and she returned the letter. And Mm -hmm. she said, Robert, I wholeheartedly apologize for doing that to you. Mm -hmm. I understand now. I believe in you. And she kind of has this little, you know, joke where it's not, what would Jesus do? What would Robert do? (laughs) (laughs) She still thinks about him to this day, she says. And um, she said immediately, as soon as she put the letter in, she felt a moment of relief. Mm-hmm. And she had learned that uh, Robert, the doll, at night, he likes to play with things like rock band figurines and um, other little toys. So she actually took toys and these little rock oh, band gifted figurines. gifted stuff to him. Oh, that's cool. And um, ever since then, the we have not... We it it's there's been a lot of uplifting since what we remember from 2011 to 2012. Mm-hmm. That was very rough. My dad got diabetes. Mm-hmm. My sister, um, she almost fell out of uh, high school. There there was a lot of issues. My pa- the family lost a lot of money. I mean, it was a complete hex over everybody. Yeah, and things have been great. Uh, since if you go like there's letters of people saying you know they got their house struck by lightning shortly after you know visiting um you know there's one here that says there's like um, we're looking at the the letters of some of the um that some people have sent and there's one that there was a kitchen fire and we heard childlike giggling coming from our basement um you know when we were driving back from the keys a deer ran out in front of our car and we swerved almost you know going off the road almost hitting a tree mm-hmm. you know just kind of just weird bad luck it's kind of hard to you know say it was right. caused by robert right right but it's one of those things that's like you know what's the coincidence of all of the string of unfortunate events right happening? why why test your fate don't even yeah, mess with it you exactly. know what i mean <laughs> Exactly. It's kind of it's kind of funny too because if you go to the museum, there's actually some pretty famous people who have written to it. Like, um, oh really? Yeah, like George W. Bush, like wrote a letter acknowledging, <laughs> like, and also like Jeb Bush wrote a letter too. I wonder know. if they flipped a bird off and like <laughs> took a picture too. Yeah, maybe that's why would why they Jeb do lost that? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man. Okay. Well, thank you guys for that incredible story and. Uh, If you're listening out there and you want to go visit Robert, you know what to do. You know the right thing to do. So thank you guys. Oh, for sure. That was Eric Rodriguez and Lisa Walker talking about the haunting tales surrounding Robert the Doll. If you'd like to see Robert the Doll in person, he's under lock and key at the Fort East Martello Museum in Key West. For more information and to get a good look at that really creepy photograph with the ghostly figure of Robert, go to SoFloWeird.com. Next up, The Curse of Ethel Allen and the making of a movie based on her unsolved murder. Jack Proctor, who worked both in front of the camera and behind the scenes, tells us the mysterious events that occurred during the film's production. 
I asked Jack to explain how he got involved in the making of this movie. Probably about seven years ago, I was approached by my longtime friend, Charlie Carlson. I uh, knew Charlie for many years, probably 30 years. We were in the Army together. And Charlie told me that uh, he had written a novel called Ashley Shadow, that he had, he had also uh, written a movie script. A screenplay? A screenplay. Mm-hmm. And um, he was looking for some uh, actors, and he asked me if I'd like to have the part of a fic- fictionist character called Sonny Baxter. <laughs> and uh, I told Charlie, I said, well, Charlie never had any acting experience, but uh, I will accept your offer. The novel is based on an actual murder that happened in 1934 to a young woman who frequented uh, Jack's Tavern, local hangout. Her name was Ethel Allen. She was 19 years old. And um, the last time she was seen alive was in Jack's Tavern. Some days later, her body was found on the banks of the Indian River near, near O'Galley, Florida, which is probably about 20 miles from present-day restaurant called Ashley's. She had been brutally murdered, very gruesome. What I understand, I read some of the words from the autopsy of that, and her um, teeth had all been broken out. I think her right, right jawbone was missing. She had been stabbed numerous times. I think her, as I recall, her right leg, leg was severed. On top of that, everyone who did this had tried to burn her body. So it was very gruesome. Yeah. They never found her uh, killer. Mm-hmm. To this day, right? To this this day, day, to this present day. They never found her killer. So the word is that uh, the present day Ashley's restaurant is haunted by her restless spirit. And things do happen there. I've talked to many people about, uh, especially in the women's uh, restroom, where they uh, witness hair pulling, uh, seeing uh, strange apparition. apparition, Yeah, Yeah, in the mirror. In the mirror. Yeah. And and, uh, at times people getting shoved down the stairs. Mm Mm-hmm. So the, the uh, stories of that have spread rapidly through, through the years. Mm-hmm. Ethel, uh, she was buried in, uh, on Merritt Island at the old Crooked Mile Cemetery. And uh, her gravesite is still there. Uh, it's how, been, did you, how did you find her gravesite? Like, what did you have to do to find her gravesite? Well, Charlie told me about it. He told me that okay. if, you go, if you go into the cemetery, it's about three-quarters of the way down where you walk through the middle of the cemetery, mm-hmm. be on the left side. And it's kind of hard to see because it's, it's a small headstone, but it's there. Mm-hmm. I, went to, I went to visit uh, her, her site, and I told Charlie, I said, uh, Charlie, what, what happened was uh, that I was going to go down to Patrick Air Force Base, and I was going to go down through Merit, the Merritt Island route. And uh, on the way back, I was going to stop and visit Ethel's gravesite. And Charlie told me, he says, well, Jack, he says, Every time I'm down that way, he says, I always take uh, a rose. Aww. And he says, I put it on her headstone. And I said, Charlie, I'll do that. Oh, how sweet. So I had uh, visited uh, Patrick Air Force Base, picked up one red rose, and driving back through. It's late in the evening. It's probably like in the end of November. It's kind of cool. The sun was setting. And uh, the cemetery was spooky. The wind was blowing, the Spanish moss moving around. And you're very sensitive to every little snap and crack mm-hmm. of uh, anything happening. But I stood there at her gravesite, and I told uh, Ethel, I says, Ethel, I says, uh, they are making a movie about your life. 
and hopefully one of these days they may find out who brutally murders you. Mm -hmm. And I took the rose and laid it on her headstone like Charlie would do and left. Mm -hmm. And uh, come on home and I walked in the door and uh, Monica says, uh, wife, says, why are you bleeding on your back? Oh. And uh, my right shoulder area, I says, I don't know. I don't think I'm scratched anywhere or cut. She says, take the shirt off. She says, I just bought that shirt for you, paid 50 bucks for it. You had to wear the $50 shirt, didn't That's you? That's the first time I ever wore it. <laughs> and uh, she says, yeah. She says, it, it looks like blood stains, and, uh, but I had no cuts. Mm-hmm. But it was several quarter-size spots on the back of the shirt. She says, I'll wash it right away. And the strange thing is, she washed it. Those spots did not come out. What happened was that more spots became visible down wow. the right sleeve. She washed the shirt probably four times and put a stain remover on the shirt each time, and it didn't help. Just more spots came. And I still have that shirt. This is a, So the first time you wore the shirt, you, you never wore the shirt. I never wore the shirt But the before. shirt you wore it to the grave. Right. And when you come back... This yeah. is what it looked like. And the other, only other stop I made was this, was the house, was our house. Yeah. Walked in the door and monitor right away saw the, the stains on the back of the shirt. Was there any, there was no blood stain, let's say, in your car, like up against the car seat? It was no. only on the shirt. It was only on the shirt. But what made it strange was that this, the shirt was washed at least probably four times. Mm-hmm. And more, more spots came down only on the right sleeve. And you still got the shirt. Yeah. You still got the shirt right there. I still, I still have the shirt. Yeah, and I, I've seen it. There's yeah. a, yeah, there's the, the spots you can still, are still there. Yeah, you can still, you can see, still see it. Yeah. Now that is eerie. That is eerie. Do you think she's trying to send a message? Well, I will tell you a little bit more about this. Uh, we have, you know, the historical library here in in Coco, mm-hmm. and um, we we did. He's he's gone now. Um, an old fellow that worked in there, and um, his daughter also works part-time, Wanda. And Wanda happened to be there that day, and I was telling her about the, uh, her and her dad about what happened to me and the shirt. And I think I've been cursed by Ethel, as far as that. Oh. And uh, so after telling them, the, telling them the story, Wanda says, no, Jack. She says, I disagree with you on that. She says, I don't think Ethel cursed you. It's a curse from Ethel. She says, I think what happened was my old aunt, which is buried next to Ethel, get out of here! Really? Got jealous because you did not bring her a rose. <laughs> you know, so there's a little bit of humor in that. Yeah. But it's strange though that the shirt, to this day, still has those spots. And that's been years ago. Yeah. Hmm. They're faded, but they're still there. Yeah, that is so strange. Yeah. So strange. Yeah. And 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 other strange things sort of happened while making this movie. I know a couple people had passed away. Directors had changed hands. This was the hardest movie to try to put together. Not that there was any big budget or anything. Right. But it was very, very difficult. It it was eerie. Yeah, um, strange. Uh, And Charlie told me, in fact, Charlie had been working on like a sequel, I guess, to for this, uh, for all these strange things that had happened. And he told me about all these people dying. He says, he says, Jack, he says, Right as we, I guess, finished the script, Dottie, his first wife, died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he told me, and I never met the guy, and I don't know who he is, but he said there was a, there was a fellow from Orlando 
He was 35 years old, and he had a small part in the movie, which I was never, I don't know exactly what it did. Right. But he said that uh, his school-age children came home from school one afternoon, and he was dead on the couch for oh a heart attack. Oh, my gosh. And then the next thing was that Charlie died. Charlie died, yes. And then as we were filming part of the movie down in Cocoa Village, we used an old barbershop there. And uh, I forget the fellow's last name, but his first name was Rick. Yeah, and Rick. And Rick's, Rick's shop had been there. He had been in business over 40 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, right after they did uh, some the interviewing scenes, with him, yeah. wasn't long after that, Rick had a serious heart attack and died. So that he's gone now, that uh, barbershop. Yeah. And uh, But uh, there were some other weird things happened. Uh, I think our producer mm-hmm. got cancer. Yes. John? John. John yes, got, he did. Yes, John he did. got some cancer. Yeah. So. It's very strange. I mean, on one end you think, geez, is it is it cursed? Is there a curse on this? Because it was really, really difficult. Well, and, I mean, having one or two things happen is one thing, but there was just a series of unfortunate events that kept happening. Right. You know, and the whole thing with the cemetery uh, incident was, to me, even more bizarre. Right. You know, and I'm sitting here looking at the shirt and I still see spots on it. So that's physical, physical, bizarre evidence right there. Right. So, I mean, we can say that the movie did get made. It got pieced together and it did get made. Not to the best of its ability, we believe, right? Right. But uh, maybe, maybe there would be another attempt to make it again. You know, I was always hoping that. Mm -hmm. And, you know... uh, being that Charlie did pass away, I think it, it may have taken a little downward trend, mm-hmm. you know. But if yeah. Charlie would have been here, I think we'd have seen it a little better. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Okay. But yes, um, and even leading up to Charlie's death, he was trying very hard, but was right. losing his energy and everything. So yeah, and right. and we all tried to pick up the pieces to right. get it to finish, at least in his honor. You know, but I, I, to me, Charlie's with me. Charlie's, Charlie's in this podcast. Right. Charlie is with us all. So, um, yeah, he's still, he's still making sure we're telling our weird stories and moving forward. That was Jack Proctor talking about the series of unfortunate events that surrounds Ethel Allen's cold case murder and her subsequent paranormal activities, which continues to this day. Next, we unearth a haunting secret that lies beneath the asphalt of one of the busiest interstates in central Florida. It's the I-4 dead zone. This is an excerpt from Charlie Carlson's Strange Florida 2 book. Located halfway between Daytona Beach and Orlando, on busy Interstate 4, you'll find a sinister spot called the dead zone. I was the first author to bring this eerie story to the public in 1997 when I included it in my first Strange Florida book. Since then, the I-4 dead zone has become one of Central Florida's most talked about haunted places, in addition to being featured in several books, including national publications and in Florida newspapers. My intrigue for this story comes from first-hand knowledge. The land where the dead zone is located once belonged to my maternal grandfather, Albert Hawkins until it was claimed under eminent domain for building the interstate highway. 
The dead zone is a quarter-mile stretch of the interstate just before it crosses the double bridge over the St. Johns River. Since the highway was opened in 1962, there have been more traffic accidents, some with fatalities, in this short span of highway than in any other sections from Daytona to Tampa. People have reported that cell phones will not work while driving through this area. Several motorists have told about unusual static on their car radios. One woman says that her car radio mysteriously changes stations when she drives through the dead zone. One driver claimed to have picked up spirits talking on his radio. A few local motorists refuse to drive through the dead zone, even if it means a detour of 20 miles. Each day, thousands of tourists bound for Orlando's theme parks travel this road unaware of the dead zone. If paranormal forces are responsible for what happens in the dead zone, then it must be related to what lies beneath this stretch of highway. In 1887, this area was surveyed by the Florida Land and Colonization Company for a Roman Catholic settlement to be called St. Joseph's Colony. A priest, Father Felix Swemberg, was to oversee the colony once it was established. In reality, it was a real estate scheme, cooped up by Henry Shelton Sanford, cloaked in religion and aimed at attracting German immigrants. However, only four immigrant families came to settle in the colony. The families were still in the process of building their homesteads when they were hit with a yellow fever epidemic that covered the entire state. Four members of one family succumbed to the dreaded sickness and were buried in a remote spot on the edge of the settlement. They were never given last rites because the colony priest, Father Swemberg, had been called to assist with the sick in Tampa where he died of yellow fever only a week after arriving. The graves of the colonists, believed to be two children and their parents, are now under Interstate 4. By 1890, the area had become Monroe Station on the Orange Belt Railroad. It eventually became the Lake Monroe Community, so named after the nearby lake. In 1900, D.V. Warren bought from the Thrasher family the land where the graves were located and carefully cleared around them for farming. The tiny cemetery sat like an island in the middle of Mr. Warren's field. In 1905, Albert S. Hawkins purchased the property from Mr. Warren and was told about the little burial plot. The graves were always respected by the Hawkins family, although no one could make out the names on the weather-worn wooden markers. In 1920, a local spiritualist named Maggie Bell warned folks against tampering with the dead. This probably reinforced the effort not to disturb the graves. In 1960, the Hawkins homestead was claimed by the government for constructing Interstate 4. Surveyors were informed about the four graves, and the sacred spot was well marked with yellow ribbons, but they were never removed. The first sign of strangeness occurred after trucks began dumping fill dirt on the burial site to elevate the new highway. In the very week that the first load of dirt covered the graves, Hurricane Donna hit the area. The storm had already crossed South Florida and was heading out into the Gulf of Mexico, and then it made a sudden turn on a northeast course that carried its eye right across the graves. Strangely, the storm actually crossed the Florida Peninsula twice. The wrath of Hurricane Donna shut down all work on the new interstate for over a month. Several pieces of heavy equipment sank in the mud, and a drag line was washed down the embankment of the new right-of-way. Donna was rated as the worst hurricane of modern times to hit the interior of central Florida. 
While it may only be coincidental, the hurricane's abrupt change in direction and its path happened exactly at the time the graves were disturbed. It does give us reason to wonder if there was a paranormal connection. Adding to this weirdness, in 2004 was Hurricane Charlie. When highway construction again disturbed the graves, Charlie made an unexpected northeastward turn and followed Interstate 4 right across the dead zone. The TV weather reporters referred to it as the Interstate 4 hurricane. Old timers remained silent, but had their own opinions of what had caused the storm to turn. They had seen Hurricane Donna do the same thing 44 years before when the graves were first disturbed. Depending on the source, there have been between 1,048 to 1,740 traffic accidents in the dead zone since the highway opened in 1962. State Highway Department records show that in a 24-month period from 1995 through 1996, there were 44 accidents that injured 65 people. I don't know if it means anything, but the sum of these two figures adds up to 109, the exact age of the graves during the period of the accidents. Perhaps the spirits are sending a message to remind us that the dead zone is a sacred place of rest. Maybe the dead are seeking revenge for disturbing their resting place. While we are left to wonder about this mystery, there is one fact we cannot ignore. If you drive through this area on Interstate 4, you'll be driving over the dead. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. If you want more strange Florida stories, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlo Weird Show. Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson, and Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody.